Eagles Entertainment. The journey to the draft is driven by AAA. AAA roadside is their strong side. Make AAA a part of your game day today. AAA, go ahead. With the 25th pick in the NFL draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and the college football national championship game is here. Number one, Alabama. Number three, Ohio State. And we are covering this matchup from wall to wall here on the show to let you know who we think will come away with the W and who the players are that you need to focus throughout. And we're going to start things off at the top of this week's show with Saturday Scouting, where Ben Fennell and I go position by position with these two teams, go through who you need to watch and who can deliver the greatest impact on this matchup between the Tide and the Buck guys and we'll squeeze in a little bit of a mock draft there uh, at the end as well from Pro Football Focus. We will continue talk for Monday night with Mr. Relevant where Mike Golick Jr. from ESPN will join the show. I'll get a matchup he's excited for in this national title game but we'll also talk about a team that just lost in the first round of the playoffs and that's the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. So stay tuned for that conversation and then we will wrap things up with pick six. Ross Tucker and I have got our final week of contest. Six ways to pick this title game, who will come out on top. We will go back and forth in a tight, tight, season-long matchup between the two of us at the end of the show. Before we get started, though, just a quick reminder to jump onto our Apple Podcast page and do us that great favor of leaving us a rating and a comment, whether it's a mock draft, a question about a specific player or prospect, a comment on how much you enjoy this show, uh, just anything. Anything you want to hit on, we really, really appreciate everybody that has taken that time. It's the best way to just kind of boost us and give us that little bit of a nudge up the rankings and make this show more available to other NFL draft fans looking for podcast content. So appreciate everybody who has taken the time to come through for us over on our Apple podcast page or even over on Stitcher, really wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's get this show going. Let's uh, let's get, talk a little bit national championship game, Alabama, Ohio State, Saturday Scouting. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, well, let's kick things off here with Saturday scouting. And uh, I guess real quick before we get into this, Ben, uh, the big thing that we need to keep in mind about the national title game, we were recording this just after lunch on Thursday afternoon. Uh, as of this point, the game is still scheduled for Monday evening. But uh, due to COVID-19, apparently Ohio State, they've had uh, some pop-ups here and there uh, on their roster. There's a chance that it could get delayed a little bit. So fingers crossed that obviously everybody's able to stay healthy and everybody's able to stay sa- as, as safe as possible. Um, but we'll have to keep an eye on and see if this game uh, actually does happen on Monday or if it gets pushed a day or two. But uh, that being said, we can still get into the biggest matchups here uh, in this game between these two teams, Ohio State, Alabama. And we're going to do this a little bit differently than normal. Usually uh, Ben and I are going through and we'll pick like a matchup or two or three that we want to keep an eye on here uh, for the weekend. But obviously, with this being the game, our thought was, let's kind of go through position by position, kind of offense versus defense, and look at what the matchups are in this contest. And so I thought, all right, when Alabama has the football and Ohio State's defense is on the field, what are the matchups to focus on? And to me, we're going to start with quarterback Mac Jones for the Crimson Tide, who obviously has had a very good year, ended up being a Heisman finalist. Uh, ben, I have not studied Mac Jones yet as a junior. I know that you have done a deep dive on him and his game. So uh, tell us what Mac Jones means to this Alabama offense and also how you see him projecting to the NFL as well. 
Well, the first thing I write down in Mac Jones's uh, evaluation is poise. The guy's always very calm in the pocket, under pressure, knows where to go with the football, extremely accurate. He's just a really smart decision maker for that Alabama Crimson Tide offense, which is a great scheme. Obviously a dominant power run game up front, heavy, heavy RPO based pass game. So it really makes defenses choose. You want to load up the box or kind of uh, play a little slack under the perimeter and guard those very dangerous receivers on the outside. It's a great kind of uh, yin and yang offensive concept. And there's a lot of easy throws and easy decisions for Mac Jones to make, as we saw last week against Notre Dame. So going up against Ohio State, very similar to Notre Dame in that these teams play a lot of base defense. A lot of three linebackers on the field, and Alabama really took advantage of Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa's pre-snap leverage and the way he kind of moved around. And the second he got nosy on the run, they threw the RPOs. The second he's in the alley, they're running the ball. And Ohio State also likes to play a lot of three linebackers. So whoever that kind of third linebacker is, which we always like to call that halfway player. That's usually Pete Werner for them, right? No question. Yep. And typically playing a little detached from the box in the alley, not quite part of the run fits. That player is going to be a huge point of, you know, focus for Alabama to attack. So it's really coming down to how do you stop Alabama's RPO offense? And that's really going to be Ohio State's uh, really uh, their, their task uh, this weekend. And that's something that Clemson doesn't lean on as much as uh, as Alabama does. So it's going to be a little bit of a different style uh, against Ohio State. And one aspect of this, if you want to bring the human element into it, just keeping in mind with Alabama's scheme and their execution, the game plan, uh, Steve Sarkeesian uh, is going to be leaving after this, after this game to go be the head coach at Texas. So, uh, you know, obviously split uh, responsibilities there in terms of how he's trying to divide his attention right now as you get closer and closer to that game. This is nothing that Nick Saban has never been through before. He's been through uh, a handful of offensive coordinators over his time, and often those guys are coaching into national championship games that they end up winning. So uh, not something that he has never been through before, but just something to keep an eye on, certainly uh, going into this matchup. Um, one aspect of this as well is you know looking at uh, what this Ohio State defense did last week to Trevor Lawrence. And obviously I think you look at what they were able to do. I know you've studied the film. Were there any big takeaways in terms of, you know, what they tried to do to try to do to limit his success uh, in the uh, peach ball? Well, you know, all these teams and these big games that are very, you know, well-balanced offenses and can attack you in multiple ways. You have to make them one-dimensional. And I thought Ohio state stopped the run on early downs and really forced the ball into Trevor Lawrence's hands and then prevented those big plays over the top. And that's really the recipe. I thought Tommy Togiai, as we talked about earlier in the week, was a really stout defender for Ohio State against Clemson, really set the tone up front, a guy that played only nine snaps in that previous year's matchup. So a guy that was playing a lot more this year, and I thought he was the best defender on the field in either of the two playoff games last week. So stop the run up front on early downs, bottle up Travis Etienne, force Trevor Lawrence to make some third and medium, third and long throws to move the sticks. And before you know it, you know, they were playing from behind, down multiple scores, and that's really not the formula anybody wants to be in against Ohio State in the fourth quarter. So um, first and foremost, you got to stop the run. You have to make Alabama one-dimensional, and whether it's Alabama, the Chiefs, the Packers, any of these RPO-based teams, if you let them run the ball early downs, forget it, Fran. Everything is open. You have to do something to make them one-dimensional and to tie one of their hands behind their back. So pick your poison. And first and foremost, with me looking at this Alabama offense, you got to stop the run. 
And if they're able to run the ball at will, which <laughs> quite often they can uh, with Deontay Brown and Alex Leatherwood and a really talented young right side and Evan Neal and um, a lot of, a lot of bruisers up front there, but you have to do something to tie one of Alabama's hands behind their back. All right. Well, that's a, a perfect transition into the next segue of this. So we're talking individual matchups. And when you talk about that Alabama run game, you're looking at the running back, Najee Harris, the, the senior uh, who's just been outstanding. He had another great performance um, this past week against Notre Dame. You watched him the week before in the SEC title against Florida. Uh, he is decisive. He is patient. He's a three down back. He's not a wow athlete, but for a guy that's that big, he does some really impressive things. And we talked about him uh, hurdling that defender in the open field. Sometimes, I mean, that's, that's a splash play, but sometimes it's just the subtle athletic moves that he's able to create in the hole. He's got much better feet than you would expect for a big back. He catches the ball well. He can block. He does a lot of things really, really well. And he can be the focal point of that offense when they can get things uh, going downhill. So that's certainly something to watch here going up against a front seven for Ohio state. And as you mentioned, Tommy Togiai, maybe the best player uh, on the field last week, but look at the second level. We talked about Pete Werner. He spends a lot of his time out in space, but then you look at those other off ball linebackers and they play a lot of linebackers, this Ohio state defense. So, you know, you look at Baron Browning, who's a senior tough Borland. He's a senior, both guys going to the senior bowl. Uh, uh, Hilliard, uh, Justin Hilliard uh, also, who's been, playing a lot of snaps over the last couple of weeks because Browning's been kind of nursing an injury. All three of these guys are going to be a factor in trying to keep Najee Harris, uh, you know, contained. And I think when you look at tough Borland, he's been a four-year player for them. I believe a four-year starter for the Buckeyes. And he's a little bit limited in terms of just his closing burst. And, you know, there's, there are some athletic limitations there, but I think, you know, in terms of his play speed and his understanding of what the offenses are trying to do his to certainly his toughness downhill, that's going to impress you. And again, he's going to go to mobile. Then you look, go over to Hilliard. He has made some big time plays and big time moments over the last couple of weeks. I mean, his tackle on ETN in the flat on third down last week uh, was really, really impressive. He made some great plays against Northwestern in the big 10 title game and Browning, He's a really interesting mix of both Werner and Borland in that I think he's got the size and physicality to be able to play downhill, but he's also got a lot of athleticism to be able to play in reverse and play in coverage. That's why of all these backers, he might intrigue me the most out of the group, but uh, only a one-year starter coming into the year. So uh, all three of these guys, very interesting names to talk about moving forward to the next level. But uh, Ben, let's get to the next next aspect of this. And I mean, it's been this long. We've been talking about the matchup. We haven't talked about the reigning Heisman, Heisman Trophy winner, Devontae Smith, and this Alabama pass game. When you look at these receivers and ultimately how they're going to be deployed here by this group, uh, what are some of the things that you're looking forward to seeing in this matchup? You look at Devontae Smith, John Mechie uh, going up against the Ohio State corners, the Ohio State secondary. Yeah, it's going to be tough. But like I said, you have to stop the run in that yeah. RPO game, which is a big aspect of the Alabama pass game. And they really play off of the leverage of defense with Devontae Smith. A lot of the slant inbreakers behind the run action or the bubble screen action and just get the ball in his hands. And it's really predicated on good decisions uh, with box counts and reading the leverage of defenders by the quarterback, which Mac Jones has done a, a great job doing. I think it's a great opportunity for Ohio State. This is some serious big game hunting. We just took down Travis Etienne his prolific career and Trevor Lawrence now Najee Harris up next. Uh, so but you have to stop the run. And I think if you stop the run, it just gives a little bit more flexibility to what you can do in coverage. Now the difference in coverage they're going to see this week, Ohio state plays a lot more press man than uh, Clemson did last week. Clemson's playing a lot of that kind of uh, press bail stuff, side mm -hmm. saddle eyes in the backfield, but you're allowing some of those quick underneath throws 
uh, and hoping the second level defenders will get their heads around and uh, take away the inbreakers. I think here is going to be a lot more press man, sticky press man. This is your guy through and through. A lot of the corners aren't going to be in run support or have their eyes in the backfield. Not going to have a whole lot of help because we have to allocate resources to the run game. So I think there's going to be a lot of islands out there. So this might be a little bit more of that vertical down the field Devontae Smith we've seen at mm-hmm. times throughout his career than the quick game screen Devontae mm-hmm. Smith, which uh, also has been so dominant with his yards after catchability. A lot of ways they can beat you. Well, dude, and then that, that is actually really interesting, too, when you say that, because uh, one aspect of this that I don't know a lot of people were expecting on a national scale – Jalen Waddle reports are saying, I mean, he's going to be a game time decision for next week. Uh, this is a guy that if you now throw him back into the mix for this Alabama offense, I mean, you, I know you studied them um, from early in the year from when Waddle was healthy. I mean, it was, a, it was cheat code having that amount of speed on the field at, at any given time. He has the ability to beat you in a lot of different ways as well. Yeah, absolutely. And they've certainly gotten away from their 11 personnel uh, formations with Alabama, not having that Jalen Waddle to go with Mechie and Devontae Smith. So it's been a lot more 12 personnel, heavier personnel, which then forces defenses to be heavier. I want to see if they can throw some 11 personnel, maybe get Ohio State to finally come out of base defense, put that nickel back on the field. And then, oh, yeah, we can still run it with a light box and a 11 personnel run game as well. So I think Alabama is going to have to mix up some personnel to get Ohio State a little bit smaller, try to get that nickel Marcus Williamson out on the field. He doesn't play a whole lot. And I'm telling you, they're stable linebackers, whether it's Browning, Warner, Tough Borland. How about Justin Hilliard, friend? That guy is a great story, great player, made a lot of nice tackles in the screen game out in the perimeter last week against Clemson. Those are the players that are going to be stressed the most this week. So it's those outside linebackers, those kind of hybrid nickel safety players that are in the alley uh, that are really going to be stressed this week. So I'm interested to see what personnel Ohio State feels comfortable deploying. Yeah, I think it's going to be really fun to be able to watch that matchup. However, that being said, you know, you've talked about some of the the matchups in the trenches. And I don't know if there's two position groups that you like more overall. You love Tommy Togiai and that Ohio State D-line. And then you, I know you've been you've been pounding the table for this Alabama O line all season long. They end up winning the Joe Moore, Joe Moore Award as the number one offensive line in the country. And you look at the left side, Alex Leatherwood at left tackle. He's a senior. Deontay Brown, the left guard, he's a senior. And these guys, I mean, I think they've got kind of complementary skill sets. And that Deontay Brown is a pure powerful people mover he is going to get great movement at the point of attack you talk about getting pushing guys around against their will that is Deontay Brown through and through and then you look at Alex Leatherwood he's more of like the the nimble feet uh you know has the ability to to you know put himself in constant position to uh be able to execute pretty much any any block in the playbook um you know both guys I think are really really fun no Landon Dickerson in this game uh the senior center obviously but uh, you mentioned some of the young guys they've got along the offensive line as well going up against this Ohio State defensive front. Are there individual matchups that you're most excited for in the trenches here? Deontay Brown, Tommy Togiai is as heavyweight <laughs> battle as uh, I think we're going to get in the college football calendar year. Uh, I'm really excited to see that matchup. And the funny thing, I was watching some Alabama tape the other day. The funny thing, Fran, because they're so heavy RPO-based, some of their best blocking and most brutal double teams, Mac Jones is throwing the ball. So it's just funny that they're run blocking. You could still be a dominant run blocker on an RPO pass. 
the offensive line doesn't know where the ball is. They're doing their job. So it's really fun to see sometimes that left tackle, left guard, blow a defensive tackle off the ball. I want to highlight the play, and it's like, oh, I threw it out to Devontae Smith. But uh, just speaking to the RPO aspect of the offense. But uh, Tommy Togia, I thought, was the best defender on the field, like I had said, in any of the games last weekend. And this is the cream of the crop against Alabama, the Joe Moore Award winners, best offensive line unit. You have to stop the run. They did it last week against ETN. Now it's Najee Harris. This is big game hunting, national championship game. Uh, it's all about early down, stopping the run, and trying to get Alabama into some sort of offensive adversity, which seems like they're never in. <clears throat> Excuse me. Even when they have like a situation where they have yeah. a free hitter right down at Mac Jones, he's so poised, he's so calm, doesn't panic, spins out, keeps his eyes up, keeps into positive plays. I think he took two negative plays over the weekend. He had the intentional grounding late. And then that one play that got tipped back to him, he caught it and didn't know what to do and took a loss. Rarely ever putting his team in the negative positions and uh, always kind of staying ahead of the stick. So that's going to start up front. I'm really excited to see uh, that battle. And thankfully, with all the uh, the mega cast aspects, you can watch the sky cam every snap of the game and really just focus on the trenches, which is a lot of fun. You like uh, What's your preferred method of watching when you're uh, when you're taking these games? We don't uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't believe we'll have a, a coach's film room, right? So it'll be it's like uh, it's the sky cam or I don't believe so. They might be doing it in some sort of virtual aspect aspect, uh, which right. would be a little messy with guys kind of talking over each other and stuff. Yeah. But I like the uh, the all Skycam view yeah. of it. Um, I like watching the trenches in there. I think the kind of rounded aspect of the Skycam allows you to see a little bit more of the perimeter than the traditional high end zone camera that's usually tagged to coaching tape. Uh, you're always behind the offense. You get that video game quarterback perspective all the time. You know, I just think you get a really good look at what the quarterback's looking at. Um, and uh, you can really see a lot of the blocking and that stuff that you can't see from the traditional TV angle or the all 22 angle, which is a great watch as well live. But yeah. I think the, uh, the sky cam live is probably what I want. I think the, uh, the allure of the <clears throat> video game style angle for sure is something that works a lot. It just seems lot. like the fan's eye is very yeah. comfortable kind of uh, absorbing football that way. No question. So uh, you talk about efficient quarterback play on the Alabama <clears> side. <throat> Uh, Ohio State got some efficient quarterback play last week against Clemson from uh, quarterback Justin Fields. Now, earlier this week when uh, we were joined by Dane Brugler, you went through the film uh, and you know talked about what you saw from Fields against Clemson. So I don't think we need to rehash that. For those who want to go check that out, if you haven't already, go back uh, earlier in the feed. But uh, I will ask you this question. We know that Fields had maybe the best game of his career this past week. When Nick Saban watches the film, not just of this past week against Clemson, but over the big picture over the course of this season, they've played, what, seven games now. What do you, how do you envision Nick Saban trying to attack Justin Fields and this passing game? What do you anticipate seeing schematically here um, from Saban in that defense? I think he's going to take a page out of uh, Brent Venables' 2019 game against Justin Fields, where you saw a lot of exotic post-snap movement that I didn't feel like Fields really understood the coverage rotation, the safety rotation through a lot of kind of dangerous passes. I didn't see a lot of that over the weekend with Clemson. I know they had some bodies down the middle of the field missing. They were all over the place getting lined up pre-snap, some coverage busts. That wasn't the Clemson defense we've seen over the last three years. And uh, as much as the offense didn't put up enough points, 
that Clemson defense really let everybody down, in my opinion, with some of those big plays over the top. So I think Nick Saban and kind of uh, toying with the mind of Justin Fields is going to be really important with some post-snap movement and trying to confuse him uh, like we saw in that 2019 game against Clemson. But I think it's really interesting, Fran, to look at these two quarterbacks, Justin Fields and Mac Jones, because they're so similar in some ways and then so different in certain ways. So this past college football season, 50 dropbacks. We had 193 quarterbacks. 193 quarterbacks had 50 dropbacks. Number one and number two in adjusted completion percentage, Justin Fields and Mac Jones. These are two guys that are very accurate, very responsible with the ball, uh, typically make good decisions with good placement, can throw the ball uh, accurately at every level of the defense. Now, the difference is when that ball is coming out, so remember, 193 quarterbacks, Mac Jones, 38th fastest, RPO base, screen base, get that ball out quickly. Justin Fields, 185th fastest at a 193. That's a guy that's holding on to the ball, typically pushing the ball downfield off a long developing backfield action, a lot of play action, a lot of deep intermediate route concepts that force Justin Fields to hold the ball by nature. And then he doesn't particularly make a lot of quick snap decisions with the ball in his hands to begin with in his progression. So two different style of quarterbacks and offenses, but what you're getting out of the quarterback is typically good decisions and very accurate play. So I like seeing that uh, this kind of elite conflicting style of quarterbacking as well uh, this weekend. I think it's a really good point. And I love what you said about what uh, Saban might try and do in terms of that late disguise and, uh, you know, trying to confuse Justin Fields, make him think he's seeing one thing, then something different. And, and the, the great snapshot there, Fran, as you all remember the uh, Justin, or excuse me, the Isaiah Simmons interception last year, uh, where he had the late rotation right after the snap and Fields threw it right to him, trying to hit the cover two hole shot as he was rotating over. That's a good snapshot for fans on where Justin Fields struggled the previous year. You would say that you know it's tough to imagine Ohio State being in this game this week if Justin Fields wasn't playing last week. However, that being said, you could also make the argument that Ohio State's not playing last week against Clemson without running back Trey Sermon. And with what he's done over the last two, three weeks has just been outstanding. And for those you know that are just catching up, Oklahoma transfer, senior, going to the senior bowl. This guy has been so decisive and so violent. I mean, and give a lot of credit to that Ohio State offensive line. Those guys are moving people up front. But I think when you look at Sermon, he is really seeing it now. He looks really, really confident, and he's just hitting his stride at the right time. So it will be very important for Alabama, and it always is for them because that just that's just the way that they're built. They are going to try and stop the run. So I think overall you look at Trey Sermon and if you want to like try and paint a one-on-one matchup here, I think eyes are going to be on Dylan Moses. And I know that he's been up and down. You have studied him from this year. He missed all of 2019 with a a knee injury that he suffered in training camp. I know it's been a little bit up and down for him, but uh, you know, Trey Sermon um, and that running back core going to be a big test here for Dylan Moses and with really that entire uh, Alabama front seven here in this matchup. Yeah, Dylan Moses, a little bit of a C-ball, get-ball linebacker. I think he's a little bit slow with his key and diagnose. Doesn't always anticipate action particularly well or put himself in position to make some of those splash impact plays. Always seems like he's just a tick behind reading the play, but then can use that explosive speed and athleticism and range to finish guys. Just not as many behind the line of scrimmage or at the line of scrimmage as I had desired in 2020 from him getting back on the field. But Trey Sermon, Fran, this is the type of guy when he's running the ball, it's almost like he wants to put the ball down on his feet and just fight defenders. 
This guy is not looking to run away from defenders. He is a no-nonsense back that bounces off a contact extremely well, lowers his pads, can deliver the boom, and also go over you, like we've seen some hurdles, and can shake you as well. So this is a guy that's as violent a runner as we've seen in college football. And once you get to the next level, Fran, there isn't a whole lot of green pastures out there. You can be a run-to-daylight back, uh, you know, in college doesn't always work in the NFL. You better be ready to put that ball down and fight, you know, every now and then. And, you know, there's been guys like Saquon Barkley who are a run to daylight back in college and suddenly had to change his style in the NFL. I think this is the style Trey Sermon plays with is great for Saturdays, great for Sundays. And this is a uh, kind of a chin strap game. Anytime you have a running back like this coming to town. And like I said, he will be heading uh, to the senior ball here in a couple of weeks. Uh, Let's go out to the perimeter where one of my favorite matchups one-on-one in this game you look at Ohio State's receiving core, and you look at Chris Olave. You look at the at the uh, the young guy Garrett Wilson, who's been making big plays. Then you look at the Alabama secondary: Josh Job, uh, a senior on one side, but Patrick Sertan Jr., uh, the ju- the uh, the junior on the opposite side. There are some good matchups here, man. When Olave is going up against Sertan, that's good on good. Uh, two potential first round picks if they were to come out, or when they do eventually enter uh, the twenty or, or the NFL draft. I mean, Olave as really, really impressive, you know, in terms of when you look at the receivers in this class, um, I, I think he checks a lot of boxes. And then you look at Sertan, same thing. I mean, off coverage, press coverage, man coverage, zone coverage, come downhill and tackle, uh, you know, play you know, either side. He is a really, really talented corner. I, I look at this one as one of my favorites overall in this game, man. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting matchup, Olave and Patrick Sertan, a guy that Sertan wants to get his hands on you and really lean on you with that 200-pound frame and the range and the wingspan. And he's a guy that can erase a back shoulder and a vertical ball in the same rep. He's that kind of savviness uh, of any size, a little on the undersized, but is twitched up. Uh, and is very explosive getting in and out of breaks. I want to see just some more underneath quick game throws, get the ball out of Justin Fields' hands. Let's try to get some easier completions for him to get into a rhythm. Not everything is going to be able to be survived with intermediate and deep route combinations. So um, I'm going to be really interested to see if maybe we can design some slants and some RPO concepts just to get the ball out of Justin Fields' hands and maybe uh, get these receivers out of the press coverage. Maybe some bunches and stacks to try to get some free release and free access because Josh Job and Sertan are some big corners. They love to get their hands on you. So what can we do schematically to help out these receivers? And it seems like when he's getting the ball out fast, a lot of the times it is to those two tight ends, especially down in the red zone. We mm-hmm. saw that this past week. Uh, I believe he's through two touchdown total, or maybe it might have even been three, uh, to Jeremy Ruckert, to Luke Farrell, the senior. Uh, Ruckert is just a junior. Uh, who matches up to the tight end typically? Uh, what, are, what are some of the matchups you're looking for there in terms of trying to cancel uh, those two tight ends there for the Buckeyes? Yeah, uh, you know, the Alabama linebackers don't turn and run in coverage quite often. They like to get their money and star position players and their nickel and dimes to come down and erase those tight ends. Uh, blanking on the name, I think, was it DeMarco Hellams, the uh, sophomore safety I profiled uh, yeah. earlier in the week, is a guy that plays that money position that I think had a sack last week. He's going to get matched up on tight ends quite a bit. These two tight ends are extremely talented. There are five stars. I believe both of them, everybody wanted them in the country. They go to Ohio State. Ohio State doesn't feature the tight end position a whole lot. So they get some talented players. The past two years, though, 
a lot more 12 personnel, a lot more under center, a lot more play action, pro style stuff, completely different scheme from Dwayne Haskins, which everything was in shotgun, 11 personnel, spread offense, RPO, get the ball out. So it's nice to see the pro style. And then every now and then they throw the ball to these tight ends on some really cool scissor concepts and some seams like we saw in the red zone last week. These guys are big. They're tall. They're tough. They can catch the ball. They can block in line, traditional wide tight end type of roles. They don't have a whole lot of sexy tape at Ohio State. These guys might be really good pros at the next level, both of them, Luke Farrell, Jeremy Ruckert. Uh, I want to see uh, who Alabama thinks can handle them, not only coverage, but in the run game as well, where, where they do a lot of their work. Mm, that's a good point. And when, when they are running the football, you're going to look at that offensive line for Ohio State, as I mentioned. And I think when you look at uh, some of the prospects, just for this class in particular, because there are a couple guys uh, that are young that we have eyes on for down the road. But I think you look at the senior Thayer Munford. He's a left tackle. Uh, uh, Munford, look, he he wants to get into you fast. He he really likes to quick set. He likes to try and go on into, onto the attack mode. Even in pass protection, he will quick set and try and get inside the pads of the defensive lineman. If you try and get him out in space and he's moving in reverse, that's where he kind of gets himself into trouble, especially against speed. But he wants to get on guys fast. And then you look at Wyatt Davis, the right guard. Uh, big physical kid. He's got light feet. Uh, I would say stronger, more strong than powerful, but he's got strong hands, vice grip. Uh, you, you've got the, you like the light feet there. It certainly has high upside and a guy that has been in mock drafts really going back uh, to the spring. And then the center, Josh Myers, the redshirt junior, who is coming out in, of the uh, into the NFL draft? He is going to the Senior Bowl as well. I would say a more well-rounded skill set than maybe both both of the other guys, but maybe not as special in any one way. I think when you look at Myers, he just checks a lot of boxes, and I do feel that he's got a starting uh, a starting gig lined up for him uh, once he arrives in the NFL. So you've got three intriguing prospects for cer- for certain on that Ohio State offensive line. Who are some of the guys that are going to match up to them defensively for Alabama here, Ben? Well, you certainly have Christian Barrymore up front, interior defensive lineman, kind of hanging on the back end of round one grade right now. I think a really good performance this week can solidify him as being in a first-round pick if he has a couple splash sacks or maybe that key force fumble or run stop. And then Will Anderson, who uh, I think is a true freshman five-star, led the conference in QB pressures this year, gave Eichenberg some trouble last week. But remember, Justin Fields, Loves to hold the ball by nature through scheme of the offense. What does that typically mean, Fran? That pass rush has an extra count or two to get after the quarterback. So I think this is a really interesting mix of styles where Alabama has some quarterback killers and Will Andersons that are going to get an extra second, extra second and a half to go uh, hunt the quarterback and really chase Justin Fields outside the pocket. So I think Thayer Munford is going to need a little help off the edge there, some chip help, obviously committing to the run game, getting that Alabama front to read the run first. First, slow them down then they get up the field uh, I would like to see them move the pocket a little bit for Justin Fields as well and try to move that launch point point. and Alabama's got a bunch of guys up front it's kind of a new new age up front there. there's a lot of young guys working in um, but there's some talent on both edges there's a couple of veterans like LeBron Ray and some guys like that up front but Barrymore and the young guy Will Anderson number 31 uh, should be all over the backfield well, a couple of names uh, to keep in mind there. So uh, that's all the matchups we're going to cover here. Before we move on to our mock draft, Ben, uh, I'm going to give my prediction a little bit later in the show with Ross. Interested to kind of get your thoughts. How do you see this game planning out? I don't see any way to slow down this Alabama offense. And in the same way, I've been infatuated with quarterback-friendly systems around college football and the NFL over the past couple of years and just ske- seeing the schematic elements 
applied to offenses to help a quarterback execute his job and to move the ball down the field, whether that's pre-snap motions, bunches and stacks, uh, the RPO game, um, the horizontal pass game, and you know all the different elements I think that will help the offense move the ball. I think Alabama has a great marriage of talent and scheme. So we know they get the who's who of college football players and Najee Harris and the O-line and Devontae Smith and Mechie. But if you marry that with a really well-run and designed offense and these schematic elements, man, Fran, they're a nightmare. And I don't know how to stop them. And it's almost a pick your poison at this point. And I know a lot of people look to Mac Jones and he's really not the star. That's okay. That's not a negative to Mac Jones. And yes, he is operating like an elite game manager right now. And that's not a negative to Mac Jones. That's a compliment to the scheme that they're instituting and deploying with Alabama and what Steve Sarkeesian has done with that offense. I just think I want to see easier offense built in Ohio State, which really isn't the style of that scheme. So um, I know this is very singular focus on the Alabama offense, but they win 45-31. Nobody's going to care the defense gave up 31 points, a lot like the way the Chiefs played last year and the way a lot of football has gone in 2020. Where I will say Nick, Nick Saban might. <laughs> he, he might. He might have something to say immediately after that game. He's going to go watch the tape and find which heads are going to roll for next year. But um, like we've been talking about, defenses have really been struggling in 2020, uh, 2020 on Saturdays and Sundays. Go light up the scoreboard. And I think Alabama's done a great job. Look at that old Miss game, Fran. You know, yeah. where they where they went 52-46. It was ugly. It wasn't great on the defensive side of the ball for Alabama. At the end of the day, go light up the scoreboard, go beat opposing defenses in multiple ways and make them join your track meet, which only so many teams can do. Yeah, I love it. All right, well, let's get now to uh, uh, we're not going to do it under the hood this week. We will do, however, a mock draft roundup. And uh, this week for our mock draft roundup, our friend Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus put out a new mock draft. And before we get into a couple picks that stood out to each of us, Let's take a look at who they've got the Eagles selecting. Number six overall, Mike has the Eagles taking quarterback Trey Lance from North Dakota State. Uh, And there's the blurb. You don't have to look much further than Jalen Hurts benching in week 17 to see the Eagles still need a quarterback. Debate the ethics of it all you want, but Hurts has not played nearly and well enough to be considered the guy moving forward. Lance brings a similar athletic skill set, but with a cannon for an arm that can open up the downfield pass game. Again, that is from uh, Mike Renner there. So uh, we don't need to get into necessarily the blur, but I want to get a breakdown here of Trey Lance. And, and look, we've talked about this on other podcasts. The Eagles have a big decision to make that, you know, in terms of how they let this situation go uh, over, you know, at the quarterback position, you have Carson Wentz, you have Jalen Hurts, and obviously picking at number six, quarterback's going to be on the board there. There's going to be the, that, that discussion is going to be there out, out in the ether. So talk to me about Trey Lance and kind of how you view his projection to the NFL. Well, he seems to be the forgotten one this year as uh, North Dakota State didn't play. They only had their one game down at Central Arkansas, which seems like forever ago. So, you know, his 2019 season of winning the national championship and being 16-0 and in his first year as a starter just seems like forever ago. It was a great quarterback-friendly system, the number one scoring defense, the number one rushing offense, heavy play-action offense. But like we're talking about, it's a QB-friendly system out there in North Dakota State. So I think if you get to a QB-friendly offense in the NFL and maybe one of these play-action boot schemes, the outside zones, whether it's, you know, McVeigh's and Shanahan's and Kubiak styles, uh, I think he's going to fit really well into. I think he's a strong arm. He's a tough kid. Dak Prescott is kind of a good image to uh, 
to relate to for his size, strength, ability, both with his legs and his arm. Uh, we all love the ball handling the offense with all those variety of fakes and the run schemes and the backfield and the heavy play action offense. He had 17 touchdowns off play action uh, in 2019, which was third in the country behind, of course, Jalen Hurts and Sam Howell at North, uh, North Carolina. So, uh, yeah, be be interesting there. I also would like to see who Mike has the Eagles taking for the Eagles in the second round. Might be another quarterback there. So uh, who knows? You know, if you don't have one, you better go get one, I guess. <laughs> well, let's get let's get into uh, some of our picks that stand out. I'll let you go first. We'll each pick a couple here. What was the first one that stood out to you? Well, we'll keep it quarterback centric. It's the low hanging fruit. Love seeing the uh, the trade there. San Francisco coming up to four to get their guy Justin Fields. I think Fields in that Kyle Shanahan offense is a really interesting fit there. A uh, guy that's comfortable under center can turn us back to the defense. Play action boot, three level stretch stuff. We just got done talking about the play action heavy personnel scheme at Ohio. State would fit perfectly in San Francisco. And then rounding out the quarterbacks, how about Mac Jones, 15 to New England? I think that's a really good, interesting pick there as well that uh, has some similar traits to it, to a Tom Brady coming out of Michigan years ago. I got to go find my notes somewhere on, on Brady's <laughs> Michigan tape from uh, 30 years ago, dust those off. But another guy, it's just not a whole lot of redeeming physical qualities, but just a really good, responsible quarterback, poised quarterback, a leader, obviously, and one that never looks like the moments are too big. So I think if Mac Jones goes and slices up an Ohio State defense this weekend and hangs uh, you know, a 40-burger on them, no problem putting Mac Jones into the first round. So uh, with that trade down, or with that trade up, rather, for Justin Fields to San Francisco, they trade up with the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, what's overall. the other side of it? Well, the other side of it was that the Atlanta Falcons trade down and get Kyle Pitts. And let me say mm. that I love this from the idea that, that that Mike framed it in a way. Look, new head coach, obviously, and we don't know who's going to be the head coach in Atlanta. But you look at the success that he had, Matt Ryan being, when I say he, when you look at the success Matt Ryan had with Kyle Shanahan, it would beg to say, all right, well, maybe we try and bring a, you know someone from that system in to try and get that same level of output from our franchise quarterback. And if that were the case, you plug in a Kyle Pitts into that level of offense, and he immediately becomes your George Kittle. You know, if you're just kind of you know trying to make that apples to apples comparison, I, I just love the the creativity. I love the fit there. I think everybody's trying to find what's that fit for Kyle Pitts. He's clearly one of the best players in this draft. It's a matter of who's pulling the trigger, how early, and you know where's the best fit for him. And I, I kind of like that one as a creative fit there for him in Atlanta at twelve. Well, a new head coach coming in, you have a veteran quarterback that's turning 36 years old this offseason. Is this the time to start the new era of the Atlanta Falcons and use that fourth overall pick draft capital to go get the quarterback of the future, hoping that we're not having too many top 10 picks from here on out? Is this the time to kind of turn the page over in Atlanta? And this is the cat and mouse a lot of organizations go through, like the Packers did last year with that late 30s quarterback new head coach. Is this the time to kind of turn the page or do we double down with our veteran quarterback and help him out and add some weapons and add some offensive line? And I think for every one of those mid thirties that are looking to turn the page, you had Indianapolis go after Phillip rivers. You had the Steelers with an aging bent big Ben, not looking to the future. You had the bucks going to get Tom Brady. You have drew Brees in new Orleans, a lot of 40 year old quarterbacks that you don't really know the future of. So I think a 37 year old or excuse me, 36 year old Matt Ryan heading into 2021, you put some weapons around him and he's got some, some years left. I don't necessarily think Matt Ryan has been the problem with that team. Yeah. And by the way, you still have 
Julio Jones. You still have Calvin Ridley. I mean, you still have. You got some weapons as it is. You got some weapons there. It's a matter of, all right, like, do we try and build it up the way you were explaining that Alabama offense? Hey, like, let's keep loading up here offensively, uh, you know, and see if we can kind of get things rolling here in the NFC South. All right. Um, Well, let's find some homes for these Alabama receivers here in uh, the the back half of this mock draft. How about Jalen Waddle to the Arizona Cardinals? That's a really interesting fit with Cliff Kingsbury, Kyler Murray, uh, you know, DeAndre Hopkins and that kind of track meet team. I just would love to see what a Cliff Kingsbury could have dialed up for a Jalen Waddle in that offense. All the uh, the wide receiver screens in that offense with Jalen Waddle. Oof. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. No question. Uh, and Devontae Smith to the Giants. Uh, ben, you know me. You know I'm always trying to connect dots here. Uh, I would say that you look at Joe Judge, the connection there to Nick Saban. He was there in Alabama. Uh, you know, certainly getting some good information there with Devontae Smith. He was there with Kirby Smart at Alabama. That's where he got his first round pick last year from Andrew Thomas. Uh, I think when you look overall at Dave Gettleman, he has been. You know, he's leaned overall towards seniors uh, as he's drafted. So. You know, there's uh, there's a lot of things that kind of point to yeah, Devonte Smith. If he were to fall to them at 11, that makes a lot of is sense. Is that a slide? Is that a fall there down to 11? Well, uh, I don't know if it would be. If I don't know if I view it as a slide. I think I, think a, I saw a mock draft this morning with him going three overall to the Dolphins. I've yeah, seen no some question. four, some fives, a lot of obviously picks to the Eagles at six. Yep. So seeing him down to 11, that's a kind of a surprising uh, selection for a guy off a of very uh, impressive performance and the Heisman Trophy in his back pocket. First I think the Giants, the Giants would be pretty excited to add him. Yeah, the first Heisman winner uh, at wide receiver since 1991. Um, there's going to be plenty of buzz about the. Imagine Saquon Barkley and Devonte Smith. You forget about Saquon not there with Daniel Jones this year that's an instant kind of two players to change the makeup of the 2021 Giants and keep in mind too that uh you know in terms of like types at receiver think about the receivers that they've already brought in there he kind of fits that body type that Dave Gettleman has has searched for at receiver um now you would say all right well they need some size to complement Sterling Shepard and uh you know and uh Slayton and the guys that they've got there but uh I think that Devontae Smith uh, certainly checks a lot of the boxes uh, that the New York Giants are typically looking for. Well, Ben, uh, excited to talk through this game, whether it's Tuesday morning or Wednesday morning next week. Uh, we'll talk through the national title game, me, you, and Dane. Uh, until then, thanks for joining us once again here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by Triple A. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Well, excited to welcome into the show this week here on Mr. Relevant, a guy that you've heard all over ESPN's airways for the last few years. That's Mike Golick Jr. Mike, thanks for joining me, man. No, appreciate you having me. Happy to be here. Happy uh, Happy New Year. I think we're still within range to say that comfortably. <laughs> I think so. I think I think we've got like that one week long grace period where uh, that is perfectly allowed. <laughs> um, all right, so let's get into some some of these players because uh, I want to. I know that you've got uh, you know your eyes on players all over the country, and obviously. All eyes were on the college football playoff this past weekend. Uh, tough loss uh, for your Irish against uh, Alabama. When you look back at that game, was there an individual matchup or, or one phase of that game that you feel was the one that was just toughest for Notre Dame to overcome? How do you think they find a way to kind of climb over that mountain and beat in Alabama in the future? Because they're, they're right there. Uh, it's a matter of figuring out how do they climb over that hill. Yeah, I, I think the obvious answer for Notre Dame is, is going to be in the secondary. You saw the speed that Alabama had on the perimeter really take over there. And, and 
listen, Devontae Smith is a transcendent talent. I mean, the guy might win the Heisman at wide receiver. So to say you're going to have dudes that can lock that one-on-one is going to be tough. But I'd say that one's been the most obvious. Recruiting speed at that position is tough for Notre Dame. The one that surprised me the most was tight ends against Notre Dame's linebackers. Obviously, we know Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa gets the headlines in that group, but that had been a group that developed well over the years. And Alabama's tight end room really, I I think, dominated a lot of that matchup and made an area that I thought could have been a strength for Notre Dame into an unexpected weakness in that game that really cost them. So I I think they get over the hump kind of building on where they've been. They're going to have to try and sneak in a few more of these five-star caliber athletes like we've seen in the secondary. And you've seen they've started to pop up, but the way I, I framed this the other day is, Notre Dame secondary right now, the five-star and the, you know, the linebackers secondary, the five-star caliber guys, the NFL speed caliber guys, they stand out at Ohio state at Alabama and Clemson. They're all over the board. So you hardly notice them. So I I think that's gotta be it. They've gotta be a little more of a a part of the forest instead of standout trees. That's a a good way to put it. And it's interesting because, you know, Brian Kelly has gone on the record in a lot of different interviews over the years and saying that that 2012 game uh, where they lost to, to Alabama was kind of a turning point for him philosophically in terms of how to beat uh, the big boys in college football when you get up to that level. And he said, you know, we, I just, I remember standing on the field pregame and looking at the guys they had in the trenches and realizing like, we need to get bigger up front. We need to get stronger, more powerful to be able to contend with those guys. And you saw that with what they, I mean, you know, Notre Dame's always been this way, but it seems every year they're putting out guys along the offense and defensive line. And I wonder if this game will serve as that, that kind of lesson uh, for Brian Kelly, if we see kind of a, an altering to the approach there from a recruiting standpoint. It is interesting, too, hearing Brian say that, because on the offensive side, you could maybe make a contention for that, although you know, Zach Martin was you know, it's a future Hall of Famer that was on sure. that 12 line. Chris Watt was the left guard, was a third-round pick there. So it, there's always, I think, been quality up front. The interesting part for me is defensively how much Notre Dame's changed because mm. they were a lot bigger up front on our Notre Dame team in 2012. Lewis Nix, Capron Lewis-Morris, Defon Tuitt, then the bodies you got up there now. But I, I've said instead of attacking you with hammers like we did then, Notre Dame's defense attacks you with knives. And you look at that <laughs> matchup up front, they've got smaller bodies there, but We've seen Notre Dame's depth of talent on the defensive line has shown up. And even though physically Alabama's offensive line was much bigger than that group, I thought Notre Dame's group up front was still really effective in that game and has been a strength that they've leaned on for a while now. So that's a, it's going to be interesting to see how they continue to attack this, though, because Brian's got them right there. He's got them knocking on the door. And so all you got to do is kick it through. Uh, no question. And, and certainly there'll, there'll be some turnover with this team. Ian Book moving on, a number of big players uh, moving on. But while we're talking about the trenches, I want to ask you, you know, with, uh, you know, so many talented players on both sides of the ball along the line of scrimmage, if you had to pick one guy from this group to, to take with you to the next level, you're building an NFL team and you say, all right, I get one guy. It doesn't matter if he's eligible for 2021 or not. Who's one player, offensive line or defensive line? You're saying, all right, I'm, I'm going to take this guy with me wherever I'm going. Yeah, you know what? I'll say this. I'll go with Liam Eikenberg at left tackle. I know a lot of people are high-ish on him. He's a name that gets talked about plenty, but I think Aaron Banks at left guard is the interesting upside pick. Mm. Since he got inserted in the lineup a couple years ago against Navy, his trajectory has gone sky high. He's really well built. Liam gives me Nick Martin consistency vibes. Like, I feel like you're going to look up in 10 years. And I always said this about Nick, who's Zach Martin's younger brother, was a Notre Dame captain, 
and has been a starter for the Houston Texans for a while now at center, you're going to look up in a decade and both of those guys are still going to be playing football. Liam's been a consistent performer in a tough position to play along that line. They face a lot of really quality edge rushers there. And I just think he's got all those traits of, yeah, he might not have the most aggressively high ceiling. I don't think he's a dynamic athlete by any stretch, but he's remarkably consistent in his approach and his technique. And I feel like those things, especially in today's NFL, where you've got less time on the field together, less time to develop necessarily, he's a guy you're going to be able to plug in pretty quickly as a player for your team. And who knows if he has all pro potential, but he's got staying power that I trust. Yeah, it's uh, he's both guys going down to the senior ball. Aaron Banks just recently announced uh, this week uh, he will be heading down to Mobile. So we'll get some extra eyes uh, on those guys for sure in the coming weeks. One guy you mentioned earlier uh, that I wanted to ask you about, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa announced this week that he officially was going to enter the 2021 NFL draft. Uh, as a guy who follows this program as closely as you do, give us a scouting report on uh, JOK and just uh, you know his development on campus in South Bend, but then also how you see him projecting to the next level. I was amazed. So his coming out party was the Georgia game two years ago where the Irish went down to Athens and played a close game there. And I remember we just saw six all over the place making tackles. And I forget if he had been dinged up before or just not playing as much, but that was kind of the big coming out party. And for the rest of the year, super productive, great player. He came back and he found a different gear this year. The offseason program was kind to him because his physical development and just his ability to recognize things. He reminds me a lot of like, and I know a lot of people would say he already kind of plays this anyway, but a Jamal Adams-esque linebacker where right. he's down. They, Jamal plays down in the box a lot, so maybe that comparison's a little more apt, but just the way that they move and recognize things. Now, Jeremiah is, is not the best block destroyer. He's not going to be an in-ball, in, you know, in-the-box button-shed linebacker, but in the current NFL right now where he can play almost that star role that you see in college – He's, I mean, I think he's good enough in space as a cover guy. He sees and plant when he plants his foot in the ground, his change of directions is good as you're going to see in all of college football. And I think he's got a little more pass rush ability than I probably gave him credit for as I cut on the tape and see him used in Clark Lee's blitz package. So I think in the modern NFL with how spread out things are, you know, his ability to take on blocks is going to be less of an issue because if you put that guy in space and ask him to go make plays, he's demonstrated time and time again he's got that ability. So I, I've been so impressed with his commitment to continuing to grow and develop physically. I don't think we've seen the best of that from him yet either, but what he's already put on tape is staggering. I'm so glad that you brought up Jamal Adams just in talking about him because, uh, you know, to me, like there are two guys from last year's draft that I think kind of mirror the, the potential role and usage for Jeremiah going into the NFL. And, and both guys, uh, Isaiah Simmons, I mean, he went in the top 10. And then you look at uh, Jeremy Chin, who went in the second round. Kyle Duggar with the Patriots, I think you could also say the same thing about, you know, one guy in Simmons was listed as a linebacker, the other two at safety. But all three guys essentially did a lot of the same things. And I kind of wonder in today's NFL – how Jeremiah will be used versus even like two, three years ago, we've seen a lot of guys with this skill set come in and just not be able to find a home. I wonder if, uh, you know, in today's league with, you know, they, you're starting to see a little bit more usage, a little bit more freedom for those guys. I'm very interested to see ultimately how he makes that transition. Uh, you talked about Jeremiah and how he kind of made that splash last year in, tw in uh, 2019. Two guys that are young that are going back to Notre Dame for next year that I, I feel are, you know, potential blue chip players coming into the NFL. That's safety Kyle Hamilton, running back Kyron Williams. If you watch Notre Dame on TV at home, you've seen both these guys. 
they're both building blocks, and I know that we can talk about those guys moving forward. Is there another guy that you feel that we need to know about that's going back to this program that you feel could be viewed in the same light down the road? Yeah, I, I, I said early in this season, one guy that just jumped is Isaiah Foskey. He was a rotational defensive lineman for them, a defensive end. He's a so- true sophomore this year. He's a guy that athletically moves different. Like he's one of those guys that right away you go, all right, this is different athletic potentials than some of the other guys. Notre Dame's used to having quality athletic defensive ends, but I think he had four and a half sacks and five tackles for loss this year. And, and you know, again, being one of the guys that rotated in, Dalen Hayes, Adi Deji were the starters and the captains in that group. But I, I think Isaiah is an offseason away from having uh, Jeremiah Wusu koromoa like jump in, in his production and what people see from him. He's a guy that I, if I could buy stock in someone going into this off season for Notre Dame, it would be him. I like it. Uh, certainly a, a name to keep in mind here moving forward. A couple more questions for you. And I want to kind of open the book now to the rest of the country. I know I was, you're, you're calling games, you're looking around, you're covering the entire country uh, from you know, looking at college football and seeing the guys that are getting the most buzz for moving on to the NFL. Is there a guy that you're surprised isn't getting more love and you feel like should be getting a little bit more recognition in terms of what his prospects look like moving forward. Yeah. And this is another one. So I, I got a chance to call a lot of Thursday night football games this year for ESPN. And so it was a lot of teams in the Sunbelt conference USA. And I know he's, I believe he's going to the senior bowl, but I can't believe we don't hear more buzz about Austin Watkins from uh, UAB. That guy, going to that game, I forget who they were even playing because I was just so enamored with how explosive this guy is when you cut on the tape. I mean, he's like 6'3", 205, looks the part. I am fascinated in what this guy is going to run going to Indy. But I I just look at him and say, all right, you have all the tools that you could want in a receiver. He was over 1,000 yards in 2019 over the course of a full season and broke a ton of records for the Blazers in the process. So I'm fascinated to watch him, but I think he's just in a receiver class. It's going to be loaded again. We know the names that are going to be up top of this. I think he's going to be a steal for someone. Dude, Watching him for a guy that big. I mean, he is so not even just like straight line explosive, but so fluid laterally. Like the way that he gets in and out is really impressive. I feel really good about, uh, and sometimes like comparisons are, are so tough to make, but you know, I see a lot of Michael Gallup with the Cowboys with this. Yep. And I feel like his ability to not just get over the top, but then win at the catch point, uh, make plays with the ball in his hands. Dude, I agree with you. He is a really, really impressive physical talent. He's a man after my own heart too, because he's put a couple of those like impressing, impressive, embarrassing wide receiver blocking a DB into the <laughs> ether reps on tape. And so that's an easy way to win me over. That's the Justin Jefferson playbook from 2020. Sure. All right. Well, let's get to the, the last question I've got for you. We'll look ahead uh, to Monday night, to Monday's matchup between Alabama and Ohio State. Is there a one individual matchup or, you know, one aspect of this game that you feel, uh, you know, maybe is getting a little bit undersold? What are you going to be focused on here uh, in this matchup on Monday? Yeah, for me, I, and I think a lot of the, the attention rightly so is going to be on, all right, Sean Wade, Devontae Smith, these matchups on the perimeter, you know, can Ohio State manage to lock down that passing game? But Going back to what Ohio State's defensive line was able to do against Clemson in that semifinal matchup, I'm fascinated to see like the right side of this Alabama offensive line because we know Alex Leatherwood, Deontay Brown, those are names people know on the left side. Leatherwood's going to be a big-time draft pick for them. But on the right side, I mean, you had to replace your center, obviously, the injury to Landon Dickerson uh, in the SEC championship game. But I'm fascinated to see that matchup against these edge guys for Ohio State. Jonathan, you know, Jonathan Cooper, uh, Tyreek Smith, 
these guys that, again, in the, I think one of the best coached units in college football is consistently the Ohio State D-line. Alabama's O-line just won the Joe Moore Award that goes to the best unit in college football. And so uh, I think that matchup, but specifically that right side that may not get as much of the the accolades in this Alabama group, uh, I, I think their ability to keep that D-line in check is going to go a long way in deciding this game because that was the difference for Ohio State defensively against Clemson. Yeah, that right guard for Alabama, he has flashed. I don't, I, I don't have his name in front of me, but he's a young guy that uh, flashed early in the season. But this will be a big matchup under the lights against. The yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad you said that, Emil Akior. He is built yes. like a fire hydrant, and <laughs> I, I watch it, watching him on the backside. He does such a, a great job of like staying square on everything he does. He's got a great base. Like you're right, that's a that's a dude that's popped all year, and I'm I'm glad you and others have, have taken notice of that because that. That Alabama alliance fun to watch, man. They got a mean streak a mile wide in that group, even with Landon off the field. Yeah, him and uh, Tommy Togia going belly to belly is going to be a fun one to watch uh, <laughs> when, we, uh, when we watch that film back. Mike, thanks so much once again for joining us here on the Journey of the Draft podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy, keep things going, and we'll talk to you soon, man. Awesome. Thanks, Ryan. Now it's time for Pick 6. Well, joining me once again for our final pick six set of selections here, my friend Ross Tucker. Ross, uh, four-game lead still. We were dead even last week. I got two wins. You got two wins. So we got a big one here. If you're going to catch up, we need, uh, you, need, you need four big ones here out of six picks. All right. Well, tell me what – give me the breakdown again of what happened because yep. I'm going to be mad if it's the ones where I went opposite of you just to go opposite of you, and I could have made up some ground. <laughs> So uh, I took Iowa State. Uh, you took Oregon. So I obviously got the win there. Uh, I got the other win as well on uh, ETN total points scored in the game. You took Clemson's margin of victory. Obviously, uh, Ohio State winning uh, tilted that one in my favor. Your two wins came on Devontae Smith's yards per catch, and I took Alabama's margin of victory. That was a close one. Devontae had 18.5 yards a catch, and Alabama won by 17. So uh, you took the edge on that one. And then you took the under on two-and-a-half touchdowns for Desmond Ritter, the Cincinnati quarterback against Georgia. Uh, he hit two touchdowns. So uh, very, very close one there. So we, we went two to two. There. I would have gone Iowa State. Now I'm mad. I would have gone <laughs> Iowa State. That would have put me, uh, rather than you being a game up, then I would have gotten a game. So, yeah. man, that stinks. No, it's, well, we'll see if uh, if you're going to reverse your fortunes here uh, this week. And obviously, look, all six of these are going to center around the national championship game next Monday night, Alabama, Ohio State. And the first one, we're going to talk about the guy who was maybe the big winner from the weekend in terms terms of uh, generating the most buzz with his performance, and that's Ohio State quarterback Justin Fields. So going into this matchup against the Crimson Tide, I set his over-under at three-and-a-half touchdown passes for Justin Fields. Do you like the over? you like the under? What are your thoughts? I, I personally, I'll, I'll give you the courtesy. I'll, I'll make my picks uh, firsthand if you, if you want. I will take the under. And I'll take a look at that uh, Ohio State or that Alabama defense. You look at that pass rush. Uh, you know, we've talked on the show the last couple of weeks about the freshman pass rusher, Will Anderson. But then you look up front and, you know, what those guys have been able to do. Christian Barmore has really heated up lately. I'm going to take a, I'll take that Alabama defensive front uh, to get after Justin Fields a little bit in this game. I'll take the under on three and a half touchdown passes. Yeah, I'm going to have to go under as well. I, I just don't see it uh, where he's able to hit four. I think. You know, total touchdowns, maybe. Right. You know, maybe I think he throws for two or three, but I think he runs for one, maybe, or Sermon. I got to go under as well. 
Fran, what what got into him, man? I, I mean, the three games before, four touchdowns, five picks, took 11 sacks, and then he throws six touchdowns against Clemson? That was unreal. I mean, Chris Olave being back in the lineup, I think, was a big help for him. He made some big-time catches, especially early in that game. Uh, and then, look, you got to give uh, Justin Fields credit considering the injury. I mean, considering the shot that he took uh, you know, on that play from Skalski, uh, for him to be able to bounce back and, and perform at the level that he did. A uh, ton of credit to that kid. I mean, he showed great toughness uh, and adverse there, you know, the ability to fight through adversity in that game. Um, all right, let's go to the next one here. Over under, and I set the number at one and a half, and that one and a half is for ball disruptions, which is a combination of both interceptions and pass breakups for the Alabama star corner, Patrick Sertan Jr. He's done it three times this year. I'm going to take the over, and I'm going to say, look, Ohio State, they're going to be behind in this game. We'll still take the guess. They're going to be throwing a decent amount. We'll see if uh, if they go after Sertan, and he and he's a guy, again, I feel like can make plays on the football in the air. Uh, I will take the over on one and a half. So I could go either way on this one. I'll do the under because I'm trying to make up ground, and he's only done it three times all year. Yep. So, yep. you know, I'm going to play the odds – and I'm going to take the under and hope I get a game on you here. All right, so let's go uh, to the next one. I, I love this one. This, you know, this was a really tough one I went back and forth on. It's an either or. Who has the higher yards per catch in this game? Either Devontae Smith, the presumed Heisman Trophy winner, or the star wide receiver for Ohio State, Chris Olave. Who has the higher yards per catch in this game? Now, I went back. I looked at all of Olave's games this year. He played six games. And I just put down his numbers in terms of yards per catch. I put that up against Devontae Smith's last six games. Olave won four of those two, four of those six, when you compare yards per catch, uh, you know, against those against each other. Obviously, Devontae can bust off some big plays, and we know that you know what that Alabama pass game can do. I'm going to take Olave here, and I'm going to say this, you know, even though he might not have all the you know the, as big in terms of, of total numbers, but in terms of yards per catch, uh, I will take Olave, who I think is a very complete receiver. Love, love that you're taking a lobby. I'm going Devontae Smith. Big players make big plays in big games. I need him to do it. He's going to come through for me. Alave's fine. Smith is a stud. He's going to have a couple big plays in this game against Sean Wade, who struggles covering people. I'll go Devontae Smith. A couple of uh, future first-round picks there, in my opinion. Let's go to uh, some other – you talk about guys making big plays in big games. No one has been bigger for this Ohio State offense over the last couple of weeks than running back Trey Sermon. So, my next either-or, Trey Sermon yards per carry or Alabama running back Najee Harris total points scored in the game. This was a really fun one, and I went back and forth on it. I just I, I do think Alabama's going to win this one. I, I guess I'm giving away my pick later. But Najee Harris, I'm going to take Najee Harris. Total points scored in the game. Touchdown equals six points. Uh, I will say that he gets a couple scores and is able to surpass Sermon, who I think against Northwestern he averaged 11 and a half yards a carry, something like that, and he was and he was not far off last week against Clemson. This guy has been churning up yardage over the last couple of games. So. This one I think is Najee Harris. It, it's hard to knock. I mean, he's probably going to have. Even if he only has one touchdown, that might be higher than Sermon's yards per carry. It's going to be close. So yeah. I got to go Harris. I'd love to go the other way, uh, but I, I can't do it on this one um, just because I, I just don't think Sermon's going to be able to get that done. All right, let's go uh, to our fifth one. We've got two left. 
uh, and I believe we are we are on the same side on two of the four that we've done so far. So, uh, you know, you're down by four. Reason stands that you would need to go opposite me here on these final two. The last, the second to last one, combined tackles by both leading tacklers in this game. So I basically, what I did, I took the leading tackler for Ohio State, the leading tackler for Alabama. Those two players are Dylan Moses for Alabama, Pete Werner for the Buckeyes. So you take those two guys, uh, total tackles in the game, or Alabama's margin of victory, what is the higher number by the time we get to Tuesday morning? You got to go first, Fran. Oh, that's right. I got to go first. Uh, I took the Alabama margin of victory. Uh, I will. I think uh, I think Alabama wins by a decent margin here uh, in this one. I just feel like that offense is just too good. Uh, I will take the Bama margin. Good. I'm going the other way. I think it's a close game. I'm hoping for a close game. And I think those guys both get close to double-digit tackles. So, I am thankful for that one. Give me the give me the combined tackles by Moses and Werner. The last one here. Straight pick them. Our final pick them of the year. Alabama, Ohio State. I already gave you my pick. I, I like Alabama here, uh, even though Ohio State, I love what they were able to do last week against Clemson. They finished the season strong. I'm still going to go with a uh, roll tie here. I don't really have a shot. I don't, I, don't really, I don't really have any other choice. I got to go Ohio State. Yeah. I'm going Ohio State. I need Justin Fields to go crazy again. If I had to really pick it, I'd pick Alabama, but I want to win. I don't care about tying or getting close. I'm trying to win. So I'm going uh, I'm going Ohio State in Justin Fields I trust now. That's right. Well, we'll see. Uh, we'll be back next week. We won't be, obviously, we won't be making any picks next week, but uh, we'll see how we did. Ross, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, we'll be back next week. We'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll talk through this game a little bit. Sounds great. So that'll do it for today's show. Hope you guys have enjoyed this entire week of programming. Earlier this week, we caught up with Dane Brugler. We talked through uh, everything that you needed to know from last weekend's matchups. And hope you guys enjoyed the preview here for this weekend, College Football National Championship, Alabama, Ohio State. We'll be back next week after the game. So it'll be a little bit later in the week than you're used to getting the, the podcast from me and Dane and Ben. But uh, we'll be make sure that we have our, our ducks in a row there to cover this national title game between these two great teams. Hope you guys enjoy it. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you next week right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast driven by AAA.